Well, guess what? Our podcast has survived to a fourth month. It's December, and we are here to talk about making a band movies, which is our typical completely ridiculous and um, nonsensical uh, topic of choice. But I am not here by myself because um, my co-host did not actually ditch me after three months. So Zach Ford is here and ready for month four. How are you doing, Zach? Um, I'm doing good. I'm not going to lie. Uh, sometimes I'm like, maybe should I should just like ask Paul if he could just like pretend he's me for an episode. <laughs> so I mean, I'm putting it out that that ditching will not happen in the future. But of course, I'm here to talk about commitments because this movie fucking rolls. Um, I, I love this movie. And every time I watch it, I'm like, why do I not watch this every day? I like. I'm not gonna lie. Zach has never pushed harder for any movie in the history of the podcast than commitments. He was and, like, the topic comes up, and Zach's like, "We're doing commitments. If we're not doing commitments, I quit." I just because we brought up like eight things. I was like, "Okay, I'm flexible anything, but commitments is a lock." And so let's see what else we want to need. Maybe we don't want to do all Irish um, band movies, which I easily could have made this be. Um, but definitely, that was what I was not willing to negotiate. And it worked oh, out. It absolutely did. But before we get to our discussion of commitments, let us do the last movie we watched on Letterboxd. Zach Ford hit me. Um, so continuing um, 1980, uh, what year am I doing? Five? 1985. 1985, I thought. Um, I watched uh, Police Story, um, recommended to me by um, Friend of the Pod, Paul. Um, Oyama, uh, police story, you know, what made Jackie Chan, um, you know, really famous, but not just in, you know, Hong Kong, but also um, crossing over to the U.S., really what brought him here. Um, man, I, like, guess I didn't really know too much about the movie, because I, I was very, I was caught unexpected on that it's, like, straight up a comedy. I thought it was just an action movie and a cop story, which um, that name... Um, police story was used later in the 2000s just as pure action movies with Jackie Chan but back then it is like full um, you know farce and goofy comedy like jokes some of the jokes and set pieces are almost like from airplane in a way Um, but I feel like a very um, you know Chinese or Hong Kong humor it is definitely a different sense of humor that had to you know vibe with but it fully works for me um no one can do you know slapstick set pieces you know as well as Jackie Chan there's just like moments of him with like phone lines and him like navigating you know through the phone lines like a jungle and uh he's just a very dynamic physical actor um that works about even the action scenes are like full chaotic you know joy the opening scene um of them chasing um the criminals through a you know busy village um and then like he's like being dragged on a bus and being chased on a bus and the bus the cars are just like crashing through all these you know houses and it, it, it's there's so much happening it's but also you know pleasurable and inventive um it's a, it's a really great movie and unexpected for me because i'm not a huge action fan so i i that's a nice surprise yeah, this is one of these movies that we were talking about this concept the other day about movies you have seen but don't remember <laughs> that much from. Like to the point where if somebody asked you, have you seen this movie? You have to like go look at your records to make sure you have like proof that you have seen it. Um, I like that we story- say go look at your records. Like this is a normal thing that people do, uh, that they keep databases of everything they've seen for the past 10 years and who they've seen it with. Well, we're psychos. Um, <laughs> you already you already known that. <laughs> Um, you know, you can go look at our letterbox links. We look like psychos if you look there. Um, okay, that's only the start of mine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Zach Ford has gone full psycho. He has like fucking Google Drives full of um, movies. Multiple tabs. It it's takes crazy. me like an hour and a half to log any movie I've seen to put through all my forms. Yeah, but Police Story is unfortunately one of those movies that I don't remember that much about, but have seen. Probably should rewatch it at some point. The last movie I rewatched was. Um, I've been rewatching a lot of 2000s uh, comedies, and um, most of them have been of the raunchy variety. And I took a slight detour to watch a rewatch a 2000s comedy not raunchy, and that is 500 Days of Summer. Um, this movie is, I think the first time I watched this movie was like, man, this is a really great romantic comedy. And the second time I watched this movie, I really hated Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Like, had a, it's a, it's a weird movie in that I like scenes in it. 
scenes in like a vacuum. I think I find some of the scenes in the movie enjoyable to the point where like I do kind of enjoy the movie, but I also find um, the relationship just toxic and kind of awful. Like my major reading of the film is that Joseph Gordon-Levitt is in love with the with the idealized version of Summer that he wants her to be, that he's not actually in love with the real person because the real person keeps telling him, I don't want to be in a relationship. And he keeps telling her, but you should be in a relationship with me. And I think in the year that we were doing, that we were doing, we came out, people kind of looked at that and goes, oh, he's a romantic. And now we look back at it and go, you're like a manipulative, like creepy, bad person. Like, wh- like what is wrong with you? And, um, Entitled the, sad boy. That's yeah, you get to the end of the movie, and the final scene with Minka Kelly happens, and you're like, and I think when you're supposed to, what you're watching, you're supposed to feel, oh look, he's found a new girl. And my read of that scene is, oh, he's just going to make the same exact exact mistakes again because he's learned nothing through the entire run of this film. It is the sensitive guy misogyny that mm-hmm. you know, got skews for too long. It's like, oh, they're such a nice guy. Why do other girls like the nice guys? Because they also feel they're so entitled to all the girls' attentions because they they do the right thing or treat women nice. Right. Um, but it's that entitlement and that idolization of females um, that is, you know, unfair. It doesn't treat them like a whole person. Um, yeah, so this movie, I think, when you see it as, you know, a 19-year-old, 18-year-old, which I did really just not mature enough to conceive it. I was a teenager. In yeah. way it was, yeah, definitely. And that's why I think, you know, it still has a lot of love because people, you know, see it from those eyes or remember it from those eyes. Um, but once you, you know, get more experienced um, in relationships and in this world and just mature and, you know, learn how to respect people of different genders, yeah. uh, it, it definitely comes off a different um, light. Um, I do especially after you were watching and talking about it, I was wondering about the intention versus the perception. Like, I think that there might be some intentionality and in that he is kind of supposed to be an ass. And this is telling the story of someone who idolizes women and he had to get past that. I do think the last scene undercuts that because then he yeah. just gets rewarded with, a, you know, another girlfriend. Yeah. He keeps redoing the cycle. So maybe I've given it too much credit for the intentionality, but it doesn't matter because the way it comes off the execution the way it's perceived is the opposite. Yeah. It really is kind of the ultimate in this really stupid idea guys seem to have that if you love someone enough and are nice enough to somebody, then they will suddenly change who they are and just be with you. Like he spends this entire movie thinking if I just do the right things, then summer will change who she fundamentally is and want to be my girlfriend. Even though the entire movie, Summer just keeps telling him, no, I don't want to be your girlfriend. We're just friends. This is just a casual thing. And he, she keeps telling him that over and over and over again. And he just never listens. And when she you know, follows through with what she says and doesn't want to be with him, that's when he goes, that bit. They turn completely and you know, say derogatory you know, names yeah. for women to act like they're this villain and this evil person for basically you know, living their truth. <laughs> And I think the the most um, honest statement said in the entire film is said by his younger sister, who, when he's acting like a sad sack after the girl who told him she didn't want to be with him, told him she didn't want to be with him, his little sister go, played by Chloe Grace Metz goes, don't be a pussy. And that really is what he should have listened to his little sister and stopped being a pussy because the girl didn't want to be with him. Stop moping over women who don't want to be with you. I just lost my running ring inside of a stuffed Dalmatian. <laughs> so I am going to search for it as a hole in his neck. <laughs> and I don't know why I put it down, but I did. <laughs> a random end to a discussion about uh, 500 Days of Summer. But um, Zach Ford, let us continue on to The Commitments, which is a much better movie than 500 Days of Summer. Zach just dropped things. I found it. I found nice it. Joke. Nice joke. <laughs> we all heard the clank. Um, and before we dig into the commitments, which let's be clear, much better movie. I'm going to say this again, much better movie than 500 days of summer. Yeah. Um, Zach Ford, you love this movie. You pushed super hard for it on the podcast. Um, you texted me while you were watching it, telling me how much you loved to watch 10 minutes into the movie. I was like, this rules. I want you to watch this. Zach Ford, give me the plot summary 
Um, we're going to keep this all uh, very tight and short. So um, there's Jimmy. He wants to be a music manager. He doesn't, um, you know, play any music. He just has a passion for it and wants to, you know, sell it to Ireland, bring it to Ireland. He finds some buddy musicians. Um, he says, you know what? You should be playing not this like wedding band music you're in, uh, but you, you should be playing soul. Ireland needs soul. Um, and so he he holds some auditions, and you get to see you know every musical variety of, uh, of people through Ireland coming to audition. It's one of the best scenes in the movie. Um, and um, he forms kind of a ragtag squad of you know people we knew from childhood, some girls he knew uh, drunk. They met at the wedding to to you know sing the um, a you know kind of like and they play him up like this legendary trumpet. I played with all the soul legends. May or may not have they never closed out Luke. May or may not have um, been this legendary trumpet player that's a lot older. Um, so it's a really ragtag squad that he teaches, um, you know, to to feel the soul, to love soul, and um, to, to you know come together as a band and create this music. Um, you know, they they never make it big. They play at um, some pubs, some bars. They play at a youth center for a heroin um, charity another great joke they misspell heroin uh without the e or with an e well they don't technically misspell it they just they just give you the wrong heroin <laughs> they give you the wrong heroin <laughs> uh whatever they can get is the jobs they get um you know so there's some band changes um they have a great drummer that headbutts people there's lots of blood throughout this movie um <laughs> And, and you know, it turns out band drama breaks out. Um, all the girls were fucking the old trumpeter. Um, the lead singer is a dick hole that you know shouts weird things and, and hits on the girls, and no one likes him. And then he gets in the fight with both of the drummers. Like, just if you're a drummer, you're gonna hate the lead singer in this movie. Um, and so it all kind of falls apart. Um, they talk about where they became later, but the, but the lesson is that he was able to you know make something special for a little bit, and even if it didn't last. The ability to create something special was, you know, worth it all. Absolutely. That's I've, the best I've ever fucking done. Because I kept this. I didn't go too much into details. That was a great plot summary. Thank you. Um, I do want to talk to start this discussion with something you mentioned, which is the audition scene for the band is amazing. Yeah. It's this You're, really brilliant stuff. It's such a good style of he just keeps oh, Jimmy keeps just opening his door. And asking people what their um, their musical influence are, and it's just this hilarious moment of he just opens the door and somebody says it and he shuts it. Somebody says something, shuts it, and then then sometimes it's even just the look of the person and he shuts it. There's also a guy who sees everyone going to his door and thinks he's selling drugs. Yeah, it's great. great. He's like I saw a long line, so I assume there's drugs. <laughs> it's just a great scene. It is such a good way of going through the process of putting people in your band like you already have a couple people in your band because you had the people you met at the wedding and the girl from the chip shop but it's just this it's just a way of like you really get a really quick um insight into what jimmy likes like what kind of band jimmy wants who what kind of singers what kind of influence jimmy wants the band to have in this really quick montage of like people you know basically explaining their influences yeah, it, it it really cements Jimmy's characterization, which is he is a focused person. Being in the band, he's focused. He knows what he wants, and not like even necessarily like doesn't like this. And I think what's important about this scene is a lot of the musicians we see are pretty good. Like that bagpipe player, like oh, he's quick. they're like a lot of them really good, and he dismisses them pretty quickly. I don't think because they're bad, but he's like, that's not what I'm looking for. It's not what I want. So mm. he can see someone. He goes like, get yeah, this, like. Not trying to be like judgmental or rude, but he could tell right away doesn't fit the this very narrow focus that he is going for. He has a plan, and everything has to go tightly into that plan. And that's kind of how he carries it his way through that movie. Is mm -hmm. everything has to fit into his goals? He keeps well, everything like a, really tight. He's a very specific person. Like I think that's yeah. and that's cemented by the idea that he wants to do a 1960s African American soul band in Dublin. But not yeah. bringing in people who you would traditionally see in a soul band. He wants to do a soul band with like a bunch of Irish people. 
And like, I think that's something that's like, he's just very specific throughout the film. Like, you know, he needs, he wants this type of music. He wants these specific influences for, yeah. for these specific reasons. He wants people to wear these specific outfits because this is what you're supposed to wear in a soul band. You play these type of songs. You played in these, this order. You act in a certain way. You show up on time. Like he's a very, very specific person. And weirdly, of all the people in the band, for the person who does the most, he has the least ego. He has almost no ego. Like that's kind yeah. of one of the reasons that he is very successful is unlike a lot of members of the band where the, they get slight. I mean, like, let's be, let's be clear for a second. People like the commitments, but they're getting yeah. cheered by a crowd of 40 people. This is not I'm like kids and 50 year old and drunk women. people. Yeah. This is drunk not a, people. this is not a lot of support. And some people in this band get some insane egos off of very little actual accomplishment. While Jimmy is out there, kind of is the mastermind of it all and she really deserves the most credit but in some ways is the least uh ego has the least ego about it which is kind of the reason he succeeds because i think the general theme of the movie is that what drive and focus can accomplish so like he's a dreamer and you know as a dreamer if you you know follow the right plan if you stay focused on it if you don't want to start um fucking all the side singers like everyone else in the band wants to if you don't want to you know get obsessed with your role in the band and feel like you need to be the leader of the band um he didn't have any of that if you can stay focused on what your end goal is right you can achieve no matter how temporary it is okay even and no matter how unexpected it's because it is that you know because they are irish and you know, drunks and um, outcasts in some way, a lot of the band members. Mm -hmm. um, this is, is not expected for them to achieve anything, but because of his driving focus, they were able to accomplish temporary, you know, quality. I think to me, it was like when I was watching it, I think really the difference between ego and then being an ego, being a person who's focused on ego or a person who's focused on dreams. Like Jimmy is really focused on, he has this dream for what he wants this to be. And for him, nothing, he doesn't get he doesn't want to feel accomplished until he reaches the point at which he thinks is where they need to be. Like he wants to make sure they get this audience and this level and this recognition before he starts feeling like he's accomplished something. Well, and that's one of the reasons why he's so successful. Well, so many other members of the band are so short-sighted. They're like, wow, two girls winked at me and three people applauded. And suddenly like, I'm going to have this raging out of control ego that just destroys the band from the inside. And that is in some ways, the reason this band breaks up is that people's egos just start clashing in the beginning. They're all really focused. They're all in line with Jimmy. They're all like, yeah, let's do soul. We're going to work hard. We're going to show up on time to rehearsal. We're going to wear the right mute. We're going to wear the clothes. We're going to listen to the right music, have the right focus. And then over time, they take the smallest amount of success and let it completely destroy them. And there's different like kinds of success these people are like destroyed. Like the lead singer is really like fame and popularity is what he goes for. And then like one of the you know subplots, very minimal subplot that I kind of find it funny and forgot is that the saxophonist, his is really like a creative um thing that takes him over a little bit of a creative ego, is that he starts like playing jazz in the middle of their um soul songs and he's he just wants he's Trying to be this kind of over the top saxophonist to show off his skill. It was about he be a, like I'm going to be the best musician in this group, mm. and so that kind of takes over. Um, and um, you know, the girls not really as much fame or that. Just like you know, sax takes them over. It's just a lot of infighting. <laughs> I mean, but it is sort of ego in that it's infighting. Is that they each? I think that the yeah. ego of thinking that they've gotten the attention of this older, accomplished guy, and then that ego gets shattered when they start to realize like as the movie goes like especially like in the beginning i think they each think they're special and then there is a point at the end of the movie where it all kind of falls apart i think he probably was telling each of them that they were the special one and then there is kind of a point at the end of the movie where it's like yeah. oh crap he's kind of gone through all of us and um in kind of the classic fashion of relationships when a guy screws over a bunch of girls the girls don't get mad at him they get mad at each other in the same way that yeah. guys do to each other if one girl screws over what <laughs> it is from 1990s so that is a little bit of a dated aspect of how i think it's a little i think it's still relatively true today i think if a bunch of guys all get screwed over the same girl they might be more likely to fight with each other than they would be to fight with her in the same way that these girls end up doing yeah but i think there's maybe i'm reading into this too much or adding in my own ideas okay. but i feel like when the girls are 
you know, singing, and then they all kind of get their chance. Well, one of them doesn't really, but two of the girls get their chance to, you know, lead, lead vocals or have mm -hmm. standout backup scenes. And they always, um, they always show the other singers kind of give looks at them while they're singing, and there's like a stage smile and happiness like they're in the music. But I feel like there's a little bit of a gleam that's like, you're not better than me. Why are you the one like getting a solo or the spot? Um, mm. That kind of jealousy of when they get a little more focused on the song or attention. Even though there's clearly a best singer, and it's the brunette from Orphan Black. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I have a lot of hot takes. One of the takes I have in this movie, and I will just throw this out there now. I think the band is better when the fem the the lead the females yeah, are on lead vocals. <laughs> that's a bad take. I don't like the lead vocal guy that much. I yeah. think he's kind of a. I think I also think the band functions better just when he's not there because I think he's too much of a a spotlight stealer. And I think in in some ways, um, uh, I mean, Natalie. That's taking him as a performance, but if you're just listening to it as a general sound, I think what he brings to that band that style of soul, you know, which is very specific. Um, it's just to me, you know, more entertaining and also um, a little more unique. No, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. That's just my like weird hot take I had while watching this that I'm not 100% even like behind. But I thought, uh, why not bring it up? But yeah, it is interesting how the entire. Um, this is. A, I feel like a lot of times in movies like this, band forming movies, you watch the band form. And the reason that the band breaks up is not because the band has infighting. It's because the band like reaches a next level and people can then go off and do something else. This, this interestingly enough ends on a sort of um, a sort of a sour note, but also kind of a, it's a really interesting um, note at the end of the film. They believe that a certain other famous musician is going to come perform with them. And, um, right. And um, he doesn't show. So, they start fighting, there becomes infighting, and Jimmy is just like, you guys are morons, um, you fight about everything, I'm leaving. And he just leaves. And as he's walking away, he walks past a car, which happens to contain the same... See, that's where... And it contains Wilson Pickett. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but this is you were look like you're completely on that. What's his face? The trumpeter was not a you know actually truthful about his um, past life as far as being a trumpeter for all these different um, soul musicians. But this is where even though it keeps hitting the line, he's like he was true. She came, so he did have connections to Wilson Pickett. Even though they once again contradict that at the end, saying the people he was saying he was torn with um, has been dead for ten years. Um, so it kind of goes back and forth on that. But he, he was true. He was coming. He was, he was coming. I think. I think he is an exaggerator. I think yes. he definitely exaggerates his relationships with these certain people. I think he is, on some levels, a bullshitter. Like I think. He's a real tool, and it's one of those tools that many people would not realize is a tool, but I'm on to you. I know who you are as a manipulator and a bullshitter. You are good at leading any conversation to bring the attention to you mm -hmm. um, and to focus everything great. Even it's not just like women, which he does with those three ladies, but also um, like his um, Jimmy's dad. They talked about Elvis stories. He just pulls oh, yeah. out whatever anybody wants to hear. He's able to deliver mm -hmm. it. It's just that kind of asshole. Yeah, and he totally sells it too. Like he convinces the dad of stuff the dad wants to believe, but that is also illogical to believe, and just completely succeeds at doing it. Um, Joy the lip is the name, by the way. Joy the lip, correct. So at the end of the movie, um, that happens, and that's kind of the end. Is kind of it's such a it's such a, it's a very interesting ending because it ends on a sour note that the band just breaks up and ends. But they, they never were, really amount to anything. Like they have one like decent bar show where someone's supposed to show up, but they didn't get a record deal. They didn't get like a huge audience. They just like put on shows that people who happened to be there were entertained by, and that was the top of their success. They kind of came together as far as making quality music, and I think that's what you see as success. Yeah. They're they come from nothing to you know playing well together, no matter how much you're fighting. Yeah, they basically got a review in the Dublin Times. This is kind of the height of their success. So it's interesting at the end that the they end on this breakup, but also then Jimmy has this whole kind of monologue after it, talking about where everybody went and how he's seen them. And he seems to be outside of the lead vocalist, basically sort of friendly with everyone. Like there's a weird thing where like he runs into some of the people on the street, you know, just playing outside a shop. He doesn't seem to have animosity towards them or frustration. There doesn't seem to be an anger there. So it's like this interesting, they kind of just all accepted that, you know, the band 
what happened happened and kind of moved on. He doesn't. I mean, say he, he was the connecting piece. The first, he was the one that had some kind of relationship or friendship with everybody that was able to bring them together. So he he's just that kind of. He's like very similar to um, the lips. I said without the bullshit. Like he's mm -hmm. someone that can be on everyone's level, any kind of person around him, by just being really true to himself for what he wants, and everyone just kind of admires that. So no one held any animosity towards him afterwards because mm -hmm. he, you know wasn't part of the drama he was always straightforward with anyone once there was nothing you know that that got on people's nerves yeah he was <laughs> just, he was just, he was a, he was just a driven guy who happened to be a natural born leader and um as he talks about during his final discussion what happens he does end up with um what you described as the best singer yeah um natalie which is, which is actually kind of a cute romance they have a couple interactions throughout the film and one of the interesting things about him is he specifically will not sleep with anyone in the band, even though at multiple times throughout the film, basically all three girls want to sleep with him. But he always he has this like he has this really interesting sense of morality where he is very much like I am the manager. I cannot sleep with the talent because that would cause anarchy and chaos in my band that doesn't have a career and plays in an occasional pub. Because this was also introduced while sex was causing chaos yeah. um, in, in the band. Bad timing on Natalie's like, to make a move. Um, going after him after they, uh, all the other girls are fighting about yeah. Joey the Lips and going, you know, would you go to the cab ride with me if you were at the manager? He's like, what the fuck? I just said this. He's <laughs> like, I just said it. creates chaos. What are you doing? Uh, but it's also this weird thing where, like, Jimmy is just on a whole different maturity level from the rest of these people. Like they're all the same age and Jimmy like mentally seems like he's like a good 10 years older. Like he's out there and be like, no, we go out and we follow the way we follow the path. And then we, you know, we rehearse like this. Like he has this sense of um, like he has a sense of maturity and the sense of like diligence that is like really important to his success and something that a lot of the other characters just don't have. They're just like, Oh, we're in a band and it's kind of, kind yeah. of happening. And like, he's very serious about this. He like treats it like a job and they're all kind of treating it like something to just kind of do. Well, that's why I think him in that role, it works because at first, and I, I think I think about this for like two minutes every time I watch the movie is like, why are we following the manager of the band? Why is he the character that matters and not the musicians? But it is he is the one, you know, with ambition and that's mm -hmm. what matters. He's the one with a goal to, you know, make something special on music. And he just knows he's not the right person for it. But as you said, no one else really has any grand ambitions. They kind of just long for the ride. You know, the one woman's just like, you know, I have to take care of like my mom's eight kids. Um, and this is like, I just need this for fun in my life and something yeah. to do. And that's kind of it. what most people are. It's just like an escape. I think that does touch on what I think is an underplayed political aspect um, of it. I think they could have hit a little, um, more, which is, you know, they talk about Ireland as a, as a third world country at the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, these are all blue collar people. Blue collar Ireland is like my ideal movie setting. This so That truly is like my favorite movie subgenre is like UK, Ireland, working class movies. Um, it's right up my zone. But, um, you know, the, they, they aren't living, you know, the happiest of life. They have to, you know, work hard. Some people were, you know, have had prison time for, you know, fights. And, you know, the one girl has, you know, eight kids because these Irish Catholics just bust out all the babies and, they, you know, they're all, um, you know, wow. lower, lower, <laughs> lower class um, um, families that people that never really had the opportunity to dream for anything more. And this is their one chance to, you know, make something unexpected of what people expect from that community, from that poor Dublin, you know, area. And um, this does connect to why I think Jimmy wanted to do soul music. I think that's where I said the political resonance is there and they connect it very mm -hmm. slightly. Which is soul music was picked because he sees some solidarity and the, you know, black struggle in America to, you know, the Irish struggle, which, you know, can sound problematic, but we also do have to view this from a European state of mind. We're just seeing them as like white people. But, you know, Ireland, I mean, though they're not Northern Ireland, but still a lot of Ireland's had a lot of their struggles, had their own issues. So mm -hmm. being able to see something in, you know, the pain and movement of black musicians and connect that to their own experiences um, and bring that to the communities, um, you know, was one of those deeper goals of Jimmy. It was not just be successful, but bring something that he thought could be special and important and um, enlightening, I think, for that community to bring people together to to live through this 
you know, kind of dramatic in a way, music, moving music. Yeah, it's um, a very, it's it, yeah. it's very it's very emotional music. Like soul is very, it's very filled with emotion. It's filled with pain. It's filled with um, like a lot of very powerful emotions. And I think, I think you're right. Yeah, because like Jimmy, if you wanted to make money, soul in Dublin doesn't seem like the smart move. Like there's clearly, you know, like there's like there's levels to the way he's thinking about using this type of music. Like he didn't pick the popular stuff. He didn't pick what was you know trendy at that time but yeah mm -hmm. i think they also the movie does a really good job showing like the struggle of ireland at that time and these people like you know they have it's sometimes just offhanded in conversations but you're right they do talk about like oh i'm on probation oh this is on prison oh like they're like in welfare line at one point don't, they're, on the dole. they're all on the dole jimmy's been yeah. on the dole for like two years this um some countries in europe have like a, a social welfare program that is sort of like unemployment but it exists um like in the US, obviously you can't get unemployment for two years. Like they don't yeah. offer it for that long, but they other countries in Europe do. And you know, just like this idea of like so many people, their job is literally to collect this welfare because there just isn't anything out there. Even like even the way that they do the movie, like how do they get around? They get around in a in a van that's supposed to sell food that's kind of locked up in a crappy shed where do they get all their instruments and their equipment from like somebody's random like warehouse that looks like it's not it's selling like, anything like it's key drug dealer gang yeah basically but like the entire movie it, it, you know where do they play they play in these like you know crappy town halls and these like churches and pubs like there there's nothing flashy or impressive and where do they practice they, you, they show up all like where, when do they have time or where are they they're like in the the meat warehouse that he has to work he's playing guitar amongst the dead pigs or yeah. like the you know the woman practicing with all all the kids they're all playing within their workplaces the best they can because that that you know blue collar work lifestyle takes up their whole life and all their focus i mean jimmy even at the beginning of the movie tells them like no this is supposed to be blue collar music for blue by blue collar people for blue collar people you know to express the you know the existence that they know and understand. And like, that's in some ways, one of his biggest things is like, he wants to use soul as a way to connect to the people around them in Dublin, the people who are in the same situation they are. Like Jimmy is a really um, profoundly fascinating character that is like, yeah. and um, great Robert, Ar Robert Arkins is fantastic in this movie. And this brings us to another really important thing to this movie. This movie is filled with non-actors. Yeah. Though some of them are actors, but were also musicians on the side. Like a lot of the backup singers were, uh, they have had successful acting careers. Um, That's fair. There's five. a couple. There are a couple people in this movie that, if you watch the right things, like specifically UK television or UK movies, yeah. you will recognize. Cole Meany is um, Robert Arkin's dad. The girl Natalie is played by Maria Doyle Kennedy, who was on. Uh, you said Orphan Black. Yeah. She also plays Mr. Bates's. Uh, previous wife in Downton Abbey. She's the mom in Sing Street. Um, but these are, um, yeah. But also, but also had a very successful music career. Yeah. Robert Arkins literally does this movie, like a music video based on a song for one of these movies, a TV show, and then a movie that supposedly came out in Ireland in 2018, but doesn't have a runtime on IMDb. And this guy is, and I'm not joking, legitimately incredible in this movie. And it's kind of a shame that he did not act more because he is so good. Because he's a musician. It says the movie's full of musicians, including the one role that isn't a musician in the movie. I know. Because um, he is like he's composed um a few things, and I think he, you know, makes albums up. But I think his primary career has always been, you know, music. Yeah. So he's never maybe maybe was interested in movies. Um, or acting, but it is an incredible performance. I think one thing that sticks out because it could not work in the wrong actor's hands is that there's um, some voiceovers that connect to him, like faking an interview, and it's just him like living his own dream life, and it still just comes off very charming and sincere and not, you know, quirky like it could as much. He but. does these. He does these interviews. He does these interviews where he's like basically like what would happen if he was interviewed on like an Ebb Sullivan show or something like some big show where he's talking about, like, Oh, what happened to your band? And he does this throughout the movie when he talks about like, Oh, what was it like interview? What was it like trying to find people for the movie? What was it like, you know, with that gig, what would happen if this person didn't show up? When did you make your break? He's so good in these scenes, like these little interview things, they really let you inside like his head and like his thought process and like how much he dreams of like being something more. And yeah, he's just, 
he's so good in this film. And I th think another thing that I didn't remember, this I think is the third or fourth time I've seen this movie, but it's just like how funny it is. And he delivers oh. a lot of these like, comedy lines and moments so well. We've already kind of talked about some of our favorite jokes. Um, my current screen name is um, Elevator Horse because it's like a joke that has nothing to do with anything oh, happening so in the movie or the plot. They just have like real comedy jokes. Like these are like just there for the punchlines. So it is, you know, a, a comedy as much as it is a, a music movie. Um, but because there's a moment he's just going to see people and he's waiting for the elevator. And there's just like this 10 year old with a horse. And he's like, can that horse come up here? He's like, yeah, he can't take the stairs. It's too hard on his feet. It's just offline. And there's like a line about like Tina Turner being a grandma. That's really great. And all these kind of just side jokes. Um, yeah. It's a pretty funny movie. And I, I think, um, you know, I forget the actor's name already, two minutes into talking about, but, um, you know, Jimmy, I think, is a great straight man a lot of way mm -hmm. to have all these kind of wacky, goofy characters and lines happening around him for him to just react and, um, yeah, yeah, as the world goes, is goofy around him. Um, the band has a great, for comedy aspect, the band has really great interactions where they, they take shots at each other. They're kind of snarky, yeah. you know. You know the and stupid the lead singer are kind of broad in a comedic way, which is okay because yeah. Emmy takes all the you know more dramatic and thematic depth that the other characters can be broad there for a reason. We all take themselves a little bit too seriously. They think they're yeah. all a little bit too important. Um, the the lead singer is always hitting on girls and then just getting rejected with like the chair to the back of the head. And um, there's like there is a great joke that I wanted to make sure we touch on, which is when Jimmy is talking about the original um, like influences for the band, he tells everyone to repeat the phrase, the James Brown phrase, I'm black and I'm proud. And there's a hysterical moment in the film where one of the white, I believe he is a redhead um, characters says this line, I'm black and I'm proud to a small child who looks at him like he's fucking insane. He's not the redhead. He is the, the brunette saxophonist. Okay. My apologies. <laughs> that he was the one embracing it. The child still looks at him like he's insane. Like what on earth? Yes. Which is the look the band gave to He was the only one that like I get it. I feel it. But the other band was like, what? Like they're kind of like how we would view it today. Like, I don't I don't know if this is appropriate. You like comparing our lives to the struggles of black people. It's kind of how the band reacted. That's how they kind of get away with it. It's almost in a way excusing themselves for appropriating soul music by showing that the band members are also like unsure if this is okay. Well, um, like the, the early parts of the movie being like, do we have to play this? Can we just play the stuff we want to play, the stuff that we think is popular? They want to play like 80s new wave music is what they're like right. used to. Yeah, like madness. And um, I'm blanking on the character's name. I'm trying to look it up. Uh, but I'm, I'm amazed we haven't talked about him and that he's not your favorite character in the movie. But oh, the, the enforcer uh, drummer? The replacement drummer. Okay, let me talk about this for a second. This guy is <laughs> okay, the most Micah, well, Micah, Micah, right? Doesn't yeah, matter yeah. his name. He's just the toughie. He is the best. Um, his go-to move in a fight is not a punch. <laughs> is not a kick. It is a headbutt, which really is bloody headbutt. Awesome. Literally, he walks up to somebody and gets in their face and goes whack, and then the guy typically breaks their nose or leaves them like caught up on their face. He is. Awesome. There is a part of the movie where he jumps off stage while the band is performing to go fight three guys at once, wins, saves the money for Jimmy, gives it back to Jimmy, gets back up on stage with blood all over his face, and starts playing again. This guy yeah, he's is a good guy, though. He's just like standing up for the group. He's he's just he has his morals. He's gonna stand up for his morals by headbutting people. I um, mean, he is just that kind of like kind he's of stereotypical, like. Irish. He's a bulldog. Um, He's the guy. Yeah, Irish bulldog, not that intelligent, and just like a rabid animal. He will fight anyone who messes with his group. Because he's brought in about halfway through the movie as their, you know, bat their bouncer at the community mm -hmm. center, the church community center. They thought they needed a bouncer. And he's just like giving everybody a fucking hard time. He's like, all those kids, like, don't do shit. Don't do shit. I'm watching you. And just all these like 12 year olds that might be like the local tomfoolery kids, just like all over them. He's real funny. Um, but he gets promoted to a drummer because the drummer, the original drummer, um, fought too much with the lead singer now this is is a part that i think um 
is kind of an asshole move. This movie is real rude to drumming. Um, they literally say, as the drummer leaves uh, the original one, he's like, you know, I hope you find someone else. And, and, and Jamie's mad. He's like, anybody can drum. And what it turns out, literally anybody can drum in this movie. They have on um, the lead singer coming up and drumming and saying, yeah, anybody can do this. And they have this like dumbass thug coming out and he learns how to drum within five minutes. And then, like most of the movie, like I think handles the music pretty seriously. Like it took some a while to, to vibe together and really get the art of, you know, making some music, except like drumming, you get it right away. Don't worry. You just hit the drum and you're good. This is actually like a really important part of the movie is that this band doesn't really click into like their second or third gig. Yeah. Like well, you can see the nerves too. They play off the nerves in the first one, which is. But like, that's good because that's good because that's realistic with what would happen if you were actually a band. You get to like, there is this sense of realism with them because they're action musicians and they understand like the difference between playing the first time with people you're not really knowing them and then playing the second time and the third time and kind of just like, you know, getting more and more familiar and more and more comfortable. It's a just it's just a really good movie for the band and just for the music as a whole. Like this soundtrack is awesome. I need to go find it. I need to go listen to it. I can't wait to listen to the commitments sing I mean, all of these classics. classics. Also, oh, yeah, but it's a it's a killer. It's like James. I mean, there are some some names. Yeah, and though they sing a lot of songs that I really love and familiar, but not the versions that I love and familiar with, like mm -hmm. "Slip Away" um, by Oh my gosh, Ronald Blake by Clarence. Um, I'll come up later, but thank you. It's one of my favorite soul songs. They have the version, not by him. They have um, "Do Right Woman." Um, fuck up all the song names by Aretha Franklin, sung yeah. by someone different, but that's also a really great song. So they have all the classics, but they don't give you the, you know, the version you expected. Just to throw it off a little bit, I think that's kind of a good move. Probably also cheaper to get some of these um, music rights. Um, well, but just, I feel like they don't hit any of the obvious soul songs as well. Like they're not like singing like My Girl or any like Big Temptations hits, and I think that's probably important as well. Well, they do a good job of they have very well-known people like they have marvin gay but they don't pick the most famous marvin gay song so they do they like sing i heard it through the grapevine right no they think that's the way love is oh, okay oh yeah that's right. and, and then but they don't do like they don't do eight one eight no mountain high and like they don't do the most famous like i think that's good is like they do a really good job of making sure you're familiar with the soul music that they're playing but it's mm -hmm. not like well, you just took the most famous. Like, it's not the like the lazy version of this would be. You just took the number one Aretha hit. You took the number one James Brown hit. You took the number one Marvin Gaye hit. And that would be, a, I think, a movie that just doesn't work as well. Because if they were singing the number one movies, like first off, Jimmy would never let them play just the hits. Like you can tell, Jimmy would never let them. He wants to find like he's such a music nerd that he would want to find the the like oh my favorite Marvin Gaye song is his ninth most famous or something like that is I think Jimmy as a person would be very much in line with the I need to find like the 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 the, uh, the under the radar hit that's my favorite yeah well and I think they're also a strategic in picking ones that match the stylings of the singer in the band yeah absolutely like he had a little more of a james brown persona to him so he had to have songs that had that kind of buffer like not straightforward singing but um a little more like shout singing in a way because you meet the singer at a wedding and he's just like stringing straight up like an irish punk song at this <laughs> wedding and he sounds great and i'm like i want this guy in the irish punk band just so absolutely really well. smashed yeah, that the wedding scene is also one of my favorites. It's been get introduced to um, a lot of the band members. Um, as you've seen, um, Glenn Hansard, we'll talk about Glenn Hansard having some really long red hair and the bassist as well playing in this like lame as shit wedding band. Once again, like not horrible, but super, super lame that they went oh, out yeah. of. Um, and and he, they're talking to him about like, we need to get out of this. Like, we do want to make a band with you, Jimmy. Um, you know, they're really the base of the band he's trying to start. And then they 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 see yeah the, this guy just smashed and drunk and later does not remember him singing at all at this wedding, um, just like shouting you know staring at the ground this kind of Irish punk song. Um, it's a good introduction to you know what to expect from these characters moving forward. But and you get to meet Jimmy as he's like trying to sell stuff to people. Like mm -hmm. he's very um, he's like a very good salesman because he people yeah. he, he is 
people see him as a tastemaker. He's the person who brings in the new cassette or the thing that you haven't heard yet, like the thing that is that is interesting and new because he's the music guy who always brings in the things before other people do. I'm really proud of the uniqueness of our podcast that I think we started talking about the last scene and now we're talking about like the first scene. <laughs> we have a very logical order in how we run these discussions. Absolutely. I mean, why not? Um, um, but I do think, but so with the drunkenness of him and just my favorite like two second kind of joke is that Glenn Hansard, when you see him, is playing his guitar with a beer glass instead of his fingers, just sliding it down. There's just a lot of like Irish belligerences where you just a lot of beer being thrown around in these drunken characters. There's just as we said, the head smashing. There's this like blood, like it's pretty gory oh, in yeah. a couple parts, like even when they go to the hospital because the basis gets electrocuted <laughs> uh, and they have to go visit him in the hospital you are introduced to the hospital this guy's just like with his head just like bleeding straight down um and it's just like, like i think that adds to the kind of rough irish atmosphere it's a rough town i mean i think they, they, they even they even are joking about him getting electrocuted as they're like wheeling him out and like there is very much in like you know even the even the the, the headbutter guy mickey is just like i'm gonna headbutt somebody and then i'm gonna go play again like there's no um People just get beat up and like they just keep going and it is definitely in line with like the um whole nature of the film which is oh this is a really kind of working class tough place to live and the people are tough because of the environment they live in um zach this is the movie i think you've been more excited to do than any other uh do you have any final thoughts on the commitments um not exactly. I did want to talk about Glenn Hansard a little more. Is no, this is, so Glenn Hansard uh, doesn't have a huge role in this part, but we're going to talk about him a lot next week because um, he's the star of Once. And one of my all-time Well, thanks a lot for spoiling the what's I'm next. Sorry, I'm sorry telling you who is the actor in the movie we are going to watch. <laughs> uh, so there's the, the only two movies he has ever done. So I saw Once a little before I saw The Commitments. And then, like, so seeing The Commitments after that experience, like 20 years younger Glenn Hansard um, with like long red hair, which is like mind blowing to me because I've been a huge fan of him for a long time as a, a, a solo singer. He's a singer of the band Frames. I think the Frames were around their early times around this time. So he was already a you know, buddy musician. Um, just I, I want to encourage everybody to check out Glenn Hansard's music outside of Once. You don't need just as someone's soundtrack. He's lots of, uh, of great albums. Uh, but it's a fun seeing a musician you love in a random part. Um, also, another fun fact, um, because this is the most I've ever researched for a movie, too, as far as, like, quick internet <laughs> research. Um, the uh, Joey the Lips. Um, okay. He's the only, you know, non-musician musician in the movie because they, they they wanted a original musician, um, but then they they're like, you know, this guy doesn't play trumpet, but he's really get, you know, capturing the spirit of this douchebag that we want, you know, in this role. Um, but who they originally were talking to, but it, Alan Parker, the director, could not. Um, I get along or had had a really bad meeting was Van Morrison was supposed to be the original um, wow. Joey the Lips Joey which would have been weird because I don't think he would have sank he was supposed to be a trumpet player but they just wanted this like old timey you know Irish you know figure he is I would say Joey the Lips doesn't seem like as much of a prototypical Irish character as they could have put and Van Morrison would have fit right into that as this you know Irish bluesman that they throw into that that would have been an interesting pick so interesting. This is an interesting movie. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, they switched some characters around as they were filming. And um, yeah, it's interesting that he was actually a musician, but then plays the non-musician character and was originally supposed to be the lead singer, which um, would have been weird, which is bizarre because those characters are, I mean, you would obviously. He can't play. play this belligerent asshole hating all the girls. He doesn't have that look or that attitude. No, he, he like I think they they did the right thing. Um, I think they just have him because he could sing. He does sing the opening credit song though too. So it's like before they changed his role, they kept that version. Yeah. I will. Uh, my final thoughts on this film would be one: it's amazing. Uh, people amazing. should watch this more. I mean, I'm kind of surprised that this doesn't. Yeah, this feels like the perfect movie that would one person would see it and then people would just word of mouth Tell keep everybody. watching it especially because movies accessible. like well it's like, it's like movies really fun movie well people like you know movies like sing street went through the entire um film watching audience and there is kind of some similarities people like this coming of age music movie um like boring a band thing like there's a lot of um fandom for that i will say though i'm interested to see what your answer is if you have to start one band 
and you can either pick Amelda or Natalie to be your lead vocals. Who do you go with? Natalie. She's a better singer. Is she, though? She is. Amelda, first of all, made... I'm not convinced they didn't do any work. Because I know they're not supposed to sound great, but she sounds real bad for, like, the first half of the movie. Like, way off pitch. Nowhere near it. Near the end, she gets some good notes. So I'm only convinced she can hit, like, certain notes. I don't think she can, like, lead a song. Natalie is the one, by the way, that has a successful music career after. She's the one that takes off. Is she really? With Debbie's help. In the, no, in the movie. Oh, yeah, in the they movie. Go with what they became. She, be, yeah, they said she became very successful, and that's who he ended up managing was her and, you know, falling in love with. Absolutely. It is that is an interesting thing about um uh Amelda because yes, she does sound kind of off at the beginning. And then there's like a couple songs there where she sounds quite good to the point where you're like, I don't know what they I did. They think they're playing off the idea that she was supposed to be just like and they, they give Jimmy her time. Like, she's just brought her in because she's attractive and hot. And yeah. so they're going like, you know what? She's actually talented and gave her a little more to do and not just hot. So I think they kind of changed the mind on how they wanted to treat that character kind of halfway through the movie. Uh, second question, Zach. Do you want to see the sequel to this movie, which is which follows Natalie and Jimmy and their life? Are you making this up? <laughs> no, I'm saying. <laughs> this, right? this is the last <laughs> sequel. I missed out. No, I'm asking if you wanted to see the sequel. Like, if you could go back to 1981 and convince Alan Parker to make the sequel, how much do you want to... for 20 years later, when Glenn Hansard is actually just Glenn Hansard. <laughs> I, want um, the, I want the sequel, though. I want the Jimmy sequel. I, will I want say more of your character. I'm going to Google this before I tell you some misinformation. Um, but it is based on a trilogy of books by Roddy Dore, which I've been wanting to read for a while. I might get this on... Um, audiobooks because I accidentally bought like $200 worth of audible audiobooks on accident. Um, so I have this um, all ready to go. So there's a trilogy. It's called the Berrytown Trilogy. It starts with the commitments. Um, there's the snapper in the, the van. They're all about his family. So I don't know if it's just Jimmy, but it's about Jimmy's family. So there's sequel material. It's not all music based. But you really skin to the rabbits. Great last name, the rabbits. Well, actually, in fun fact, there was movies based on the two next books, both directed by Stephen Frears. What movies are they? Are they called what the? They're called the exactly the same thing. Never them. Okay, I want to watch those. One of them is a television movie. Uh, wow. The Snapper is a television movie with Cole Meany and Brendan Gleeson, and then the Van has oh, Cole Meany playing the same character. I believe. I... All right, we're doing this. Is called research on the fly. <laughs> Because um, well, I should have probably told you this was a book series before we started. This is my fault. No, Colmini is playing a character named Des Curley in the next movie. That's weird. And it was nominated for a Golden Globe. Interesting. Yeah, Jimmy Rabbit Sr. is the van, which I assume is his dad. That's in the van. I'm looking at the book. This is great podcasting. There's a character's amazing. name is Bimbo. Brendan Bimbo Reeves. It's a great name. Oh, that is the one with... Cole. No, he is playing the same character. They changed his name to Larry in the van, but renamed Jimmy Rabbit. Do they? Yeah. So he changed his name, but it's playing that character, which is weird. That's in the van. That is very interesting. All right, we're going to have to... Hey, Cole... next month we're going to do... Cole, Cole, Cole Meany Month coming up. Cole Meany Month. <laughs> um, but yes, this movie is... So there is sequels, is what I'm saying. Well, unfortunately, wise. they do not feature the Robert Arkins, who I want in more movies. Stop doing music. Go back in time. Get a time machine. Stop doing music. Do movies. I want to see he, more of you. I don't think so he would been much more than the 90s. I think he fit a certain kind of 90s. He's like the <laughs> Irish. Um, oh, my gosh. This is me of us just like – talking to each other at this point like we do always um, yeah. who who is uh he's a dad in eighth grade and he is in kicking and screaming I'm like oh Josh name. Hamilton thank you I feel like he is the Irish version of Josh Hamilton time because if you watch kicking and screaming which I don't believe you've seen have you seen. have the same okay well you, I feel like you have the same thought is there like Josh Hamilton like why couldn't he be like a major star he kind of fades away because he just fits that kind of um you know generation x 90s thing. I think Jimmy is very similar. He is very Irish Generation X. I will give you another comparison. I think Robert Arkins is Jamie Bell before we got Jamie Bell. 
I feel like this is coming off of you just watching a or listening to a blank check episode starring Jamie I, I Bell. Did, and I did not about. listen to that. I did not listen to that. You mean All Jamie the- Bell, the star of one of the classic working class UK movies, Billy Elliot, one of the, I'm just saying, one of the best of the genre. I'm, I'm saying that um, in some ways it's not even that one. It's um, uh, the the film stars don't die in Liverpool one with Annette Bening. That that character reminds me of this yeah. one. You're the only person I've seen that movie, so that's a take for you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let us continue on to our second section. We've decided for this month that our second section where we typically talk about the career of somebody, we want to talk about the music in this movie. We want to talk about, take the movie away for a second. We want to talk about the commitments as a band and evaluate them if they were just a band. So, Zach, you're definitely more of the music guy than I am. Mm -hmm. Um, Why don't you talk a little bit about the influence they talk about their own influence in the movie, the influence that they seemingly have. Um, why don't you share some of that? And then why don't you um, tell me what you think about them as a band? So it does help when you set their ambitions low. Like they're not meant to be, you know, a superstar band. Um, however, um, and they are essentially a cover band, which in the 60s making soul cover music, which is like the go-to, like there's basically 20 songs and every soul musician, Aretha Franklin, you know, um, Smokey Robinson, they all sing the same songs. You listen to the album, it's the same songs recycled over and over again, a lot of the same ones. And, and even the Beatles did that in their early albums, was saying the same soul songs. So this kind of band singing these soul classics would have fit perfectly in the 60s. In the 80s, this was really going back to something New, it was novel at the time because it was more about new wave at the moment. Um, but so, as far as being a soul cover band in the 80s, you're not going to amount to much. You, you set your limits there. Um, they could be famous as a live band, you know, within their community or even within the country, but not as much of a recording artist. But I think the sound, if I saw them as a live band, like it's fucking great. Mm-hmm. The um, lead actor, not lead actor, what am I talking about? The lead singer. Exactly sorry, um, is really doing like a Joe Cocker thing in voice and in appearance. Um, I don't know what your experience with Joe Cocker is. Um, How much? Uh, well, he's a great singer. He's most, I feel like his most famous song is um, Get By With Little Help or Friends, so a Beatles cover. It is this theme song of Wonder Years was his version. And it's a better version of it. But um, Joe Cocker, who also had a very famous impression by um, John Belushi on SNL, which was always weird to me because it was just John, John Belushi. You're forgetting that he's actually doing a joke. The joke is he just seems so much like Joe Cocker. Um, mm-hmm. It sounds like the lead singer in this, but there's just some like weird face movements and the body is like so into it. And every now and then you can see the actor kind of taking in this really Joe Cocker thing. I think there's a lot of inspiration um, by that. That That's where I think the more modern touch was going. It was really connecting the old soul music to, you know, Joe Cocker was still pretty, really big in the 80s um, mm-hmm. kind of style of singing. So I think that's maybe where that music would have resisted. Or if you want to imagine what his career would be like, cause you are led to believe that he had a successful singing career after this. I think that's what you would go for. It's kind of a Joe Cocker, maybe a little bit of a Van Morrison with that less um, like creative ability, like Van Morrison wrote his own songs. This guy, you cannot believe, actually knew how to make music. He was just a singer, which is definitely mm-hmm. Joe Cocker. Um, so anyways, it's still like if I saw him at a bar, like I'll be all about it. There's nothing better than seeing like soul music or blues music at a bar. Absolutely. This is actually, you know what? I'm going to tell a story uh, right now. When I was in undergraduate school, I took um, in, uh, ke- uh, chemistry one with this gentleman named Thomas Whalen, who was a Irish gentleman in the chemistry department, who told us this story one time. This is a fascinating. This is one of the professor stories are never good. They're almost never good. This is the one good professor story I've ever heard. When Tom was in his own undergraduate career at the University of Cork, he went, there would be like a Friday night band at like the student union. And um, the uh, the band would, you know, play at a time, blah, blah, blah. And everyone would, you know, pitch in and pay for it. Um, one Friday night, they, they were there and the band was like 45 minutes late. They show up, they're absolutely pissed, destroyed get up on stage and start playing. And he said that 
you could instantly tell that this band was so much better than any other band had ever been there. That band was U2. <laughs> so there's Did your little... Are you relating the commitments to U2 or are you just telling the side No, I'm just story. relating this random story about my, my professor told us yeah. about seeing U2 at a random student union when he was a university student. But uh, yeah, I thought I'd tell that story because when else am I ever going to tell that story in this podcast? <laughs> this is all to our favorite Do you know I've seen Chagray in concert five times? <laughs> bands, this is going to be a very short section of band stories because I cannot match your band <laughs> stories. <laughs> I have a great story about the rap group, Bad Reboots, that we are going to try to fit in at some point. I had a great interaction with them. Um, it's my, if you ever do meeting celebrity moments, that's where we'll go. Um, I think what we're gonna do is we'll do a lot. We'll do our rap section on the uh, the the Christmas themed episode of this month. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, they it is important to note that they did tour and like well into the two thousands. We're still touring as commitment. Oh, yeah. I don't know what members were there, but so they did build off this music like people. They are a successful band, you know, following that. And it it is important that they got all successful musicians. Like a lot of these people had very successful music careers and that adds to the realisticness of the, mu of the music um, and the, the realisticness of their performance. Like if you're a performer, you're going to act out those scenes, you know, better, I think, than normal people. So that yeah. that helps the quality of the music as well. I think yes. all all the music in the movies we're gonna talk about is good. I mean, school of oh. rock, we, we can <laughs> debate spoilers of what episodes they're doing, but it's like it's just dropping all the no. But I think that I think that's one of the reasons this movie works so well is that it is just a bunch of musicians, and we keep talking about. I I've mentioned Sing Street a couple times, mm -hmm. but the comparison that Sing Street has to this is that was also a bunch of musicians. Like most of those people had more experience as musicians than they did as actors. And I think that's one of the things that works so well. Like this is this is the problem, this is the mistake that Hollywood makes all the time is they make a movie with singing in it and they cast people who can't sing because they're famous. Rather than what the commitments does, which is like, hey, let's make sure these people can sing and play musical instruments um, before we build in their band. I think, um, I'm gonna be honest, I do not have any great music takes like you do, but I will say that I think this, the entire soundtrack is awesome. I think every song they do is yeah. great. I want to listen to more of it. Um, you should also listen to the originals and let it inspire you to delve deeper into soul as a genre and not just listen to the Irish white version of it. I, I, I actually, I am relatively well-versed in the people they are covering on this. Um, okay. I could also recommend to you, if you're really trying to get into 60 soul music, there's this great thing on Spotify called Zach Ford's Top 100 <laughs> Songs of Each Year from 1960 to 1969. There's a lot of great recommendations on it. Zach, would you like me to put those in, in the comments? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't say one. Zach, we talked about being a crazy, crazy person. I um, definitely do create a top 100 song list of every year. Um, I'm only at 1969 right now, but I will get from 1950s to 2020. It takes him so much time because he legitimately has to listen to so much music to get a sample size large enough <laughs> to create a top 100. I like remember I'm a dad and I don't know how. When do I have time to be a father? That's a, that's a good question. Um, yeah. Music I mean, takes you... fun. Yeah, basically. <laughs> no. um, Stop, don't say basically. You're supposed to, to, to go against me saying I'm a bad dad. I go, Zach, you're a great dad. Everyone loves you. Uh, <laughs> the world loves you. All right, we don't need to pat ourselves on the back anymore. We don't need to stand in a circle and pat ourselves on the back. Um, Zach, any more final, any, like, final thoughts, any uh, wrap-up thoughts on the of the music of The Commitments? I don't, but I do want to propose an idea that at the end of this month, we rank our bands. We rank the five bands that we see as best bands. Absolutely. We will rank our final bands on the bonus episode for December. We will rank yeah. all of the bands on that month. And I'm going to be honest. I've not seen every movie we've done yet. I have to watch some of them. The Commitments is a strong start. This is a strong band uh, choice. The kids in school of rock aren't going to be better. <laughs> Are you saying, I mean, school of rock you just like because school of rock is what you wish you could be as a teacher. Um, I am as a teacher. <laughs> yeah, doesn't he get fired? <laughs> you basically just told the principal's going to walk into the room and I'm like on the ground pretending I'm dead, which I do like every other day in some of my classes where they ask dumb questions and I pretend to die. <laughs> I've done this too. Um, with that, I think we have talked about the commitments. We've talked to the commitments. Please go watch this movie. I beg you. 
So few people have seen it. It is so good. Thank you to Zach for pushing his art for this. This was an absolute joy to watch. It is so good, especially if you like John Carney's movies and like the stories. Yeah, if you like Irish, like if you like Irish music or you like Irish movies, please watch this movie. Listen to the soundtrack. I know I am. It's on Spotify. You can listen to the soundtrack. You can listen to Zach Ford's playlists. No one yeah. will do that, but they will listen to the soundtrack. Zach was mad at me. It's fine. Um, with that, let me announce that next week, as Zach has already spoiled, we will be covering Once, which is. I believe another Irish movie, if I'm not wrong. Just wanted to make sure John Carney, John hadn't, Carney. Switched, yep. hadn't switched countries for his movie. Um, we'll be back with that next week. Uh, thank you, Zach, for forcing me to watch The Commitments, which was an absolute joy. And I can't wait for you to say this next week for forcing you to watch once, finally. Yeah. yeah, Yes, but you have to argue. Movie. Different vibe. You have to argue a lot harder for The Commitments because I never heard of it when it came up. Yes. Yeah, that's so, why we're so shocked at telling people because we look at Letterboxd and we have a you know, thriving film community of friends and literally no one has seen it except for Brian Michaels, I think. I believe it's like you and me are like five stars and there might be like one other person who thought it was okay. And then critics that I have friends with, but no one that we know as real people at seen yeah. they have watched it recently. Yes, but please go watch The Commitments. It's fantastic. And join us next week as we explore the band that is formed in the film once we hope you have an awesome time uh go listen to the commitments we will see you next week